Let me open us with a word of prayer, and then you can go ahead and be ready. We're going to be teaching again from 1 Peter chapter 4 in verse 7. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for who you are. Lord, we are reminded day after day, week after week, that our world is corrupted by sin. Lord, not everything that happens to each one of your children is caused by their own sin, but the universal effects of sin that have wreaked havoc on your creation are evident through illnesses amongst us, through deaths of family and friends. Lord, we have the theology right in our minds, but we also experience it on a daily basis. We pray for encouragement, for wisdom. Lord, dealing with illness and death and everything is not easy. I just pray that you give us grace and strength and help us to rely on you, not ourselves, in the midst of our trials. Lord, we're gathered here today and we say thank you. We thank you for a moment's peace, a little bit of respite from the chaos of life, I pray that you would allow us to focus on you, that we could lay aside everything else that would distract us and focus on you and the truths of your word. Pray that you would enable me now to teach effectively and accurately what's in your word. I pray for Pastor Steve in the morning service that you would give him the ability to preach boldly and with great power from your spirit, the truths that are before us. And I pray, Lord, even tonight for the children who are going to be singing In the evening service, the musical program, I pray that that would be used to bring glory to you. We ask all these things, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you were here last week, we began again looking into 1 Peter, and we are in chapter 4. And I began a section on 1 Peter chapter 4, and I started covering verse 7. The entirety of 1 Peter is directed towards holiness. I'm convinced the more I study over the last few years, the focus of the book is on how we are to be holy as God is holy. That's stated explicitly in chapter 1, but the entirety of the book is focused on that aspect. And the original recipients had great hardships all around them. Many of them were persecuted by the government. The government did not treat them well. Many of them were in employment or even slavery situations, which were horrific. Many of them had bad marriages where things were out of balance. Many of them, even when they did the right thing, were falsely accused and were suffering. And through it all, Peter is continually calling them to focus on the hope that is in Jesus Christ. But not only the hope that is in Jesus Christ for the future, but the example of Jesus and how he lived his life on the earth to help us in our daily lives live that holy life now. And so throughout the book, every aspect can be seen as calling us and instructing us on the issue of holiness. Even if your life is difficult, even if you have hardships, even if you're falsely accused, even if you don't have a good marriage, even if you have a bad employment relationship, even if the government is not friendly to us, 
We can do what God calls us to do. We can live holy lives because of Jesus Christ and what he did. No matter the circumstance, we are to be light in the darkness. And in the midst of that, it seems clear, according to Peter, that even some of those who harass and mock us may one day bend the knee to Christ. Because they've looked and seen our example, and God's used that to draw them to Jesus. And even if they don't come to faith, don't worry about those who are mocking Christianity. Don't worry about those. You don't have to pay them back. God will take care of all that. God will take care of all that. They'll give an account. So as we continue in chapter 4, and we're getting close to the end of the book, Peter, in light of all these different things, in light of Christ's example and what he did, and the fact that he's in heaven, and the fact that we have a hope one day there, he's calling us to live this holy life. And as we get to verse 7, we're in a section, verses 7 to 11, and again, I introduced it last week, where not only are we seeing something about how we live personally, but we're going to see over the next at least one more week, perhaps two more weeks, we're going to see a lot about how we're supposed to interact with each other. Some of the teaching has already been mentioned in First Peter, but he's really going to be talking about how all of us are supposed to relate to all of us on an ongoing basis. And I have been in verse 7, and last week I had a simple two-part outline, and I'm going to cover the second part today, is just preparing yourself for holiness. And all of that comes from verse 7. But I'm going to read verses 7 to 11, you can follow along, and then we're going to jump back in, I'll give a brief review of last week, and I'll cover the new material, which really, I'm just going to cover the rest of verse 7 today. That's all we're going to cover is verse 7. Verse 7, the end of all things is near, Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now, as I mentioned, I have approached this in the idea of preparing yourself for holiness. And last week, the first point was... Remember the return of Christ. Remember the return of Christ. And it has to do with that little expression that I even acknowledged last week. It was only as I was studying that it even jumped out because I kind of skipped over it and was looking to the part where I could talk about the application and how we are supposed to do things in the church. The end of all things is near. The end of all things is near. That term has a sense of urgency. Throughout the book, Peter has pointed forward to the hope that we have in Christ. One day we'll be with him in heaven. But here he's talking about our time on the earth. And he's saying the end of all things is near. And he's talking about the end of redemptive history. I talked in a little bit more detail last week of some imagery that I had read by a commentator that made a lot of sense. From the time of the fall until Christ walked on the earth, everybody was looking forward to the hope of the Messiah. 
One day Messiah would come and straighten things out. Then after Jesus came and he ascended into heaven, everything after that has been looking for when Christ comes back and takes the church. That's what Peter is talking about. The end of all things is near. There's nothing else that needs to happen. At any moment, Christ could come and call his church off the earth. And Peter wants the believers to understand they need to live with that sense of urgency. Jesus in Luke 12:40 I think conveyed the same idea that Peter's trying to convey just by that expression. Jesus said in the context of a parable, "You too be ready for the son of man is coming at an hour that you do not expect." The idea is we're always supposed to be living ready. We're supposed to be stewards of the time God's given us and we live with all of our hearts for his glory, but recognizing that this may be the last hour we have on the earth. We don't know. But of course, every hour Jesus doesn't come, and now it's been 2,000 years, makes it easier for us to not even think about it. To just kind of, it's not going to be today. I know it's not going to be today because it wasn't yesterday. (laughs) Makes sense, right? That's how we think. But Peter is saying, be ready. The end of all things is near. And again, this is in the context of that call to holiness. Regardless of all the things going on around you, your calling is to keep pressing forward. And there's a sense of urgency because Jesus could be here. That's a brief overview of last week. Now we're at the second point of preparing yourself for holiness. Remember the return of Christ, but the second, and this is where we're going to focus today, train your mind for prayer. Train your mind for prayer. The rest of verse 7. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Therefore, the end of all things is near. The return of Jesus Christ to gather his children, the church, we refer to it as the rapture, That's not just theological truth. One of the things I noticed as a new believer is people love to study prophecy in the end times. There's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that at all. Don't misunderstand what I'm about to say. Anything you're curious about in Scripture and you want to study, that's a good thing. But the truths aren't just there for us to scratch the theological and the intellectual curiosities we have. When we see truth and when we study truth, it's supposed to affect us. The theology that the end of all things is near is supposed to translate into immediate and ongoing action. Therefore, because Christ could return at any moment, therefore do these things. Because Jesus is returning, if we really believe that, Peter says, do this. He says, be of sound judgment and sober spirit. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit. This is a command. It's not a suggestion. This is one of those, thus saith the Lord, moments in Scripture. And this, along with the end of all things is near, carries over that idea of urgency. 
In fact, if the things that I'm telling you today as you hear me teach, if this isn't characteristic of your life, this isn't something to address after the summer. We've got vacation, I'll get to it then. It's something to address this afternoon, this morning, before even Pastor Steve teaches. Sound judgment, be of sound judgment, is talking about how you think and how you interpret the events that are going on around you. When I was studying and I'm typing and I'm starting to do this, it was very challenging for me because I was so caught up in the truth and its application to the Christian church today. Some versions translate sound judgment as self-controlled or clear-minded or serious. The idea is that because we know Jesus is returning, we should be very careful how we think. We cannot be driven solely by emotions and feelings. One expert phrased that he said, we're supposed to be self-controlled and balanced. And this is talking about how we look at the world, how we interpret things with our mind. Christians should not be overreacting to the things that occur, nor should they be underreacting. This can apply in countless ways. And we see over and over in Scripture in many places exhortations to be careful with our minds. So certainly this idea to have sound judgment would apply to how we even interpret our own existence and our own life. Romans 12.3 says, For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think. But to think as so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. So it involves accurately understanding who we are in relation to all the events going on. But it also means accurately interpreting those events around us. Christians should think clearly. Christians should be slow to jump to conclusions one way or the other. Christians should continually exercise sound judgment. And yet, as I look at my Christian life, which began in 1993, to now, I see less and less sound judgment exercised by Christians. The events going on around us seem to be dragging the church around and Christians around rather than people having a calm, reflective, and appropriate approach to what's happening. In fact, I am amazed at times, and this is just one person's interpretation, so I don't pretend on this to be speaking for the Lord. This is just my observation But I'm somebody that has had a career of thinking. That's what lawyers do. That's what I spent my time doing all the years I was a practicing attorney. 
And while I would not encourage anyone to think like a lawyer thinks unless you absolutely have to, most lawyers actually exercise a certain degree of sound judgment, particularly with any experience. And what I have seen is how lacking that is in the church, and it only seems to be getting more so. And I marvel, even at a church like Lakeside, when I hear comments of people, it doesn't make me angry with them, I'm just stunned. How could you be listening to Pastor Steve for years and think some of the things that you think? Not you in particular, I'm just saying, this is what goes through my mind sometimes. And what I realize, one of the barriers to us exercising sound judgment is our adversary, the devil. And when we don't take the time to exercise sound judgment, Satan has a field day. There are certain passages of scripture that I always come back to as a pastor, as a shepherd of God's people. One of them is in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. It's a familiar passage, you would have heard it. But he's warning about false teachers. He says, for such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end will be according to their deeds. So what's my point? A lot of the people that claim to speak for Christ are false. And because Christians have not trained themselves to exercise sound judgment, even people that should know better are easily led astray, or at least susceptible to bad theology. Again, you have a privilege to sit under the teaching of Steve Kreloff. And I'm not looking for any favors. He's my friend. We already have a good friendship. But I'm serious. It grieves me, the people that can listen to him, not because he is anything, but the Spirit of God speaks through Steve. He's faithful to the Word of God. And yet we have people from our church that are looking elsewhere. I think people from our church have been enticed by some of these false apostles because I know, I see and hear about some of the books and some of the teachers. Christians don't always use sound judgment. And that's a danger because our society as a whole, apart from Christ, has no judgment anymore. We don't think clearly. We don't think rationally. We react emotionally. I have in my notes, I wish a lot of Christians wouldn't watch the news or pay attention to politics. Why? I don't want you to be ignorant. And the news matters and politics matters. But what I see is that all politicians are doing one thing nowadays. Nobody's trying to convince you to their side. They're trying to make you mad at the other side. Everything is emotional. There's no policy debates anymore. It's just they're bad. And so what happens? Christians, we love the country. We're just sitting there and next thing you know, we just know that they're bad and we're on the good side. Even though the good side is populated by sinners too. And even though they're not looking out for the glory of God, they're looking out for themselves too. It it permeates our society. We are programmed to react fleshly. 
and everything in our society and all the technological advances that God is using in many respects to advance the kingdom are also being used by Satan to stir the pot. I don't use social media and it's not because I'm more spiritual. I just choose not to. I don't understand the appeal of Facebook and Twitter and all those things. I'm familiar with them, but I don't do it. What I do see, though, is that they make everybody mad. It's amazing how much those platforms have made people billionaires because they've been able to connect emotions such that if you have a desire to be angry about something, there's a thousand people on that Facebook site to help you with your anger, to stir it up. And if you're upset with a politician, there's a Facebook site somewhere to tell you that politician is just as bad as you think they are. And we're perpetually stirred up in the wrong direction. As believers, we should be angry a lot less. Of course, we are stewards in our country. We have a responsibility. We have the vote. We're very careful, but... We can't live our lives as though Christ doesn't exist. Panicking because this politician's in power and it's all going to end. It's all going to end anyway. The end of all things is near. I'm sorry. (laughs) It's going to happen. We need to take a step back and take a deep breath. For some people, maybe it's getting off of social media sites. It's one thing to look at a picture of the grandkids. That's fine. It's another thing to realize that I go there every day to have my anger and my self-righteousness validated. So we should not react emotionally all the time. What Peter's calling us to do as the world around us, steeped in sin, is going to constantly have outrages. They're real. They're there. We're still supposed to exercise sound judgment. We're supposed to think rationally. We're supposed to think on what's true and what a scripture say about these things. The next time you hear an outrageous statement by a politician or by a celebrity or by something else, take a deep breath. Go to the scriptures. Don't allow yourself to get sucked in. The second aspect of this is very closely related and very similar. Be of sound judgment and sober spirit. The sobriety being talked about here, again, has to do with our minds and not being dragged around by our flesh, but interpreting and thinking of things spiritually so that we properly evaluate what's going on. Remember, the ultimate goal for us each day is to be holy. That's it. That's our goal. Be holy as Christ is holy. If we don't have sound judgment and if we don't have a sober spirit, we're not going to be able to be holy. Why? Because we're going to get angry. We're going to get agitated. We're going to get frustrated. We're going to be exasperated. Certain scriptures, again, they come up over and over because their truth has so many applications But I think sobriety of spirit, having a sober spirit, is encapsulated by the truths that Paul 
expressed in Philippians 4.8. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is good repute, if there is any excellence, and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. That is having a sober spirit. We're bombarded every day with countless bits of information. Some innocent, some innocuous, some satanic, some godly. We have to be able to process and sort it all out. I cannot tell you the number of times in my own life I've had to stop and say, what's true? And what's true isn't generally because of whatever my emotions are. What's true is here. Okay, I'm hearing that. What's true? But I've given that counsel to others. Debbie's given that counsel to others because we all are prone to wander in our thinking. We need to not allow our emotions to drive us. We've got to minimize the amount of time we spend angry and agitated. Because when we're angry and agitated, we're generally not thinking spiritually. We're thinking fleshly about me. Again, the context of the people. Remember the people that he's writing to. Many of them had terrible marriages. Have sound judgment and a sober spirit even in that. Many of them had terrible work environments. In fact, they were slaves with unreasonable, meaning horrific, masters, sound judgment, sober spirit. Many of them were being falsely accused, were being slandered. Other people thought bad about them and it was all a lie. Sound judgment, sober spirit. To people that would have had every reason to be emotional, to be angry, to be frustrated, he's saying, settle down. That's what he's saying to us. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit. If that's all he said, it would be standalone truth that we should walk out and apply. In fact, it's very similar to something he said in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. In 1 Peter Chapter 1, verse 13, Peter said this, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Sounds very similar. But our text is focusing on something a little bit different. It's not just in general how you live. He says, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. The word prayer as it's used here is in a plural form. The idea is just many prayers. The best understanding is this is talking about the type of prayer that's uttered throughout the day. At different times, for different reasons. There's just a simple expectation that Christians will pray on a regular basis. Paul in 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 17 says, Pray without ceasing. 
Peter is assuming without even giving the command again that of course that's how believers are living. The idea is not that using sound judgment and having a sober spirit will cause you to pray. You're already supposed to be praying. The idea is that having sound judgment and sober spirit will help you pray well. You'll be able to pray more effectively. That's critical. It's the difference between praying that God will kill a politician and that God will save that politician. When we're thinking with sound judgment and sober spirit. It's the difference between praying that God would afflict the judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah on a place and that God would show mercy to that place. So let me connect the dots just a little bit. I think it's clear. But I always like to tie things back together. Jesus will return. The end is near. He's going to come get the church. But right now we're still here. Living in a world that doesn't like Christ. Living in a world that more and more is insulting all the things that we hold dear. The world doesn't mind you calling yourself a Christian. The world is offended when you say that this book is actually true and you live by it. There's a big difference. We have insults and criticism. The world wants us to stop talking about sin. The world doesn't want us living differently because it makes them feel bad. And yet the Bible tells us to cling to the truth and live holy regardless. Even if everybody around us is pursuing wickedness, even if our entire society has jumped the rails and is running into the ditch, we don't go along. Of all people, we're supposed to be about prayer. How do you navigate all those pitfalls, all that crazy world? James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. Who gives to all generously and without reproach. But to ask God for wisdom, you have to be exercising sound judgment. Exercising and being controlled by a sober spirit. Peter is telling us how to be holy when life is hard. How to be holy when we're bombarded by things. And one of the aspects of that is to be effective in your prayer life. And you can't be effective in your prayer life if you're not controlling your mind. So if you want to be holy as God is holy, and I pray that you all do. If you want to win those battles with sin, and I pray that you all do. If you want to be more like Christ tomorrow than you are today, and I pray that you all do. You need God's help. And to call upon God's help, you have to pray. And Peter is saying, pray well. Control your mind, control your thinking. So that rather than reacting with your emotions, you're reacting biblically, calmly, spiritually. 
You're not interpreting things solely in the basis of how does it make you feel. You're interpreting it on the basis of what does God's word say. I purposely tried to shorten this message a little bit today, and I think I did. Because I wanted us to have some time to practice what we're just talking about. Even in just a moment, we're going to share prayer requests. Think about how your prayer requests are influenced by your emotions. And mind you, not all emotions are evil. Jesus had emotions, so don't misunderstand me. I think you understand what I'm talking about is just being influenced solely by your emotions such that whether you're happy or sad drives everything. So we're going to take some time as a class to exercise some sound judgment and to be possessed of sober spirits for the purpose of effective prayer. So let me close this with in prayer. Then we'll divide up into our groups. If you're visiting with us, we just break up into prayer groups and share requests. Just join whatever group is close by. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you care for us. Lord, we each face challenges every day. Lord, it is hard to control our thinking. I know the amount of time I spend struggling and fighting to think on what's true rather than allowing my mind to run away into unproductive avenues that pull me away from prayer and cause me to focus on myself. Lord, I pray for each one of us that we would not only believe that the end of all things is near, but that we would allow that to motivate us to take a deep breath and think clearly about the world around us. Lord, help us have sound judgment. Help us have sober spirits so that we can pray and pray effectively. We love you, Lord. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.